And I want you to repeat after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God. Because it is the power of God. For the salvation of all who believe. For the salvation of all who believe. First for the Jew and also the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You can have a seat. You got it? All right. We are, uh, we are diverting from this memory challenge through the Sermon on the Mount for two weeks to take this passage, Romans 1, 16 to 17, and burn it into our brains. I encourage you to take what we just looked at here, what Amy just read a moment ago and what you just read, and memorize it. Because deep embedded within these two verses, in many ways, is the summary and heartbeat of the biblical story. And it's a little bit of a tough passage because it's summarizing the story using its own words. Have you ever noticed that certain authors like to use certain words? Certain filmmakers like to use certain phrases. And, and these catchwords or keywords become very important if you want to understand the deeper substratas of what's going on. Are you with me on this? What we are going to do is we are going to look at this passage here today. I want to encourage you to take out an NIV. Um, you can find one in, uh, in a chair. Um, and, and open up to Romans 1.16 to follow along there. And what we're going to do is go deep through this story, God's story, and see at what levels it interfaces and becomes our story as well. Now, Paul begins by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let's start with this word gospel right here, okay? What is the gospel? Gospel is just a Greek word that means good news. But it's not just good news like, oh, I got like a really like great message waiting for me or something like that. I mean, it's more powerful, it's more potent than that. It is, it's, 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 it's news, but it's good news, and it's, it's news of rescue and vindication and restoration and salvation and deliverance. And it echoes throughout the Old Testament. For us, gospels become a church word, but it was never a church word for the people who spoke it when they penned these words a long time ago. Because what the gospel was about was a message of God's deliverance from a desperate plight. God coming to save from a desperate situation. And it didn't matter what that situation was, whether it was delivering from Egypt or from Babylon or from some other foreign power looking to destroy the nation, whether it was from the enemy that you have living next door or maybe even in your own home who's seeking to undermine you and tear you down. It didn't matter if it was even from yourself and what you'd become and where you had found yourself in light, in life. Any desperate situation that requires saving from is what the gospel came to be coined for throughout the Old and the New Testament. And Paul begins and he says what? I, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Which is kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Because really, why would he be? I mean, what would even lead him to say something like that? 
But, I mean, let's face it, the reality is we are ashamed of the gospel a whole lot of times, aren't we? We, we, we downplay what we believe around other people who we know might not believe the same thing. We, we tend to minimize what the Bible means to us, what Christ means to us, what church means to us, if we think it will get awkward, right? We tend to kind of sideline it at times or, or, or just kind of stay quiet when there's something burning within our soul that goes, man, this means everything to me and I love it and, and I've got good news for you too. Because cause let's face it, we know it. We, we know that to people who aren't believers, to people who don't really come to terms and grasp the gospel, well, I mean, for those who are kind of religiously inclined, something as radical and free and, and grace-filled as the gospel is kind of a stumbling block because it doesn't seem that that's how religion should work. It isn't based on getting what you deserve or, or being a good person. It's just you're awful, you're forgiven. Amen. And we know it sounds crazy to people like that. And to people who are more secularly minded, well, I mean, let's face it, we know it sounds like a fairy tale. We know it's foolishness to them. And so we are ashamed of it a lot, aren't we? And, and you know what? Maybe Paul was too at various points of his life in his ministry. But when he's sitting here writing to this Roman church, it's like you can hear echoing with his soul, not anymore. Because he came to realize that in this thing called the gospel was something powerful, that it was the saving power of God that compared to nothing else in this universe. Now, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And I think about this, the power of God. And I think about what, what people probably often think when, when they try to get a picture of what God's power looks like. I mean, let me ask you. Someone mentions the power of God. I mean, what are the images that start to conjure in your mind? I mean, are you seeing Jesus meek and mild holding the lamb? No, what you're probably seeing is stuff like fire and thunder and lightning. And you get those visions of the throne room of heaven and there's like angels everywhere and there's like irradiating power like, a, like, like, a, like an atomic bomb has just gone off. And, and you see people in dread before the coming. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you think of. I mean, this is like... Sinai stuff. This is like Egypt stuff. This is like 10 plagues and angels of death and, and mountains exploding and, and God's presence heavy upon the people. And this idea of the power of God, well, sometimes it looks like that, doesn't it? But have you noticed that more often God's power is revealed in acts of mercy? I mean, Jesus comes, and we've been looking at the story so far, and he heals sick people with a touch. Now, I mean, there's power there. There's power and authority over disease, right? But it doesn't look powerful compared to a Sinai thing, does it? You, you see Jesus feeding poor people, multiplying bread and handing it out and, and, and liberating them and restoring them. And, and there's something powerful there isn't it? 
but it's not the power of like, like a mighty force. It's not the power of, of an army. You, you, you see Jesus exercising demons, which admittedly is creepy but cool, but it's not quite a Sinai picture going on. And how God chooses to reveal his power, or maybe better put, how you tend to think of God's power is going to have a lot of bearing on how this Romans chapter 1 passage really starts to come to light as part of your own story. Now, this is how it goes. I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. First for the Jew, but also the Gentile. And then Paul goes on to say, for in the gospel is a righteousness of God. For in it, a righteousness of God is revealed. Paul says that this gospel reveals a righteousness of God. Now, off the bat, you're out of church. You hear the word righteous. Good word or bad word? Mm, getting some of both, right? On one hand, I mean, we, we know that righteous and righteousness is something that, that's a characteristic we should have, right? But how come it always gets used in terms like self-righteous? You know, no one says he's self-good. You ever hear anyone talk like that? Righteousness, in a way, has become a bad word. And who goes around? You go around and, and tell people, yes, I'm righteous. Is that a way you're comfortable thinking about yourself? See what I mean? We think it's a good word, but in reality and in practice, it's a bad word, isn't it? And it says that in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. Now, I want you to look at something. If you have your NIV open in front of you, it probably words it a little bit differently. What does it say? Yeah, but look at the righteousness from God part. Yeah, it says a righteousness from God, right? The NIV is a, an evangelical translation, and it tries to capture thought for thought, not word for word, which means that sometimes it takes a little bit of license in trying to get what they think is the proper idea across. And that's a good thing. But sometimes it minimizes wording that can lead to other options and that can lead to confusion about certain issues that have come up because what it literally says is a righteousness of God is revealed. And I want to talk about that because how do you understand the word of? Okay? Let me give you an example and show you a couple of different ways this can work. This is from Revelation 1.1. These are the opening words. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, great, and you keep on reading because it feels dull, right? But what does that actually mean when it says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ? Does that mean this revelation or what's being revealed is like about Jesus? It's like the revelation of him, you know, it's about him. Or does it mean it's the revelation from him? Like, this is the revelation that Jesus Christ is giving. Do you see what's tucked in to this little word of? 
And so we come to this phrase, a righteousness of God. And the question is, what does it mean? Because it seems to stand at the heartbeat, or better put, it seems to be behind the veil. It was something hidden that is now revealed, but something that stands behind what God's saving power and gospel is all about. It can be said that the entire book of Romans comes down to understanding this very word and phrase right here, a righteousness of God. Now, one option is to look at this and go, this righteousness of God is describing something about God, right? Kind of like it's a characteristic. It's an attribute. You know what I mean by characteristics or attributes? You know, you ever do like these kind of profiles for people? So, for example, if you were to do um, a profile of me, you'd go, um, incredibly good-looking and wise beyond his years and humble beyond belief, right? (laughs) These are attributes of me, all right? Attributes of God. Come on, it was funnier than that. (laughs) Attributes. Someone's like, oh, he's right. Yeah. Pride comes before the fall. <laughs> what are attributes of God? We think of his, his power, his greatness, his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, right? You think about these things about God and the righteousness of God. I mean, who would have any problem saying God is righteous? Righteousness seems to be an attribute of who he is. God is holy, and he says things like, be holy because I am holy. We see God talking about be clean and, and, and don't associate with the unclean thing. We see God say things like seek justice and do mercy and walk humbly with your God. We see God talk about loving God and loving neighbor and doing all these things that start to constitute what righteousness tends to mean in our mind. And God is the quintessential picture of what righteousness is, isn't it? I mean, when you think of holy, he's kind of got the the charts topped. Would you agree? 496 years ago, Martin Luther took a paper that he had written of, of 95 bullet points, and he nailed it to the door of a church in a city called Wittenberg. This coming Halloween will be the 496th anniversary. Yes, people do need things to celebrate in this world. It will be the 496th anniversary of that moment. Now, Luther will say in his writings that when he came across this phrase in Romans, he hated God because of it. And he hated the gospel because of it. Because when he looked at God, he saw how righteous God was and how unrighteous he happened to be. All of us here are going to have to stand before a holy God someday. Do you know that? When you do, what is going to be your appeal? Are you going to come to God and go, that's pretty righteous. Think you can make that one happen? What is going to be your appeal? And that was the question that terrified Martin Luther. Because he knew what lived inside of himself. He knew what he was like. He knew what he thought, and he knew what his motives were. It's why he was OCD. 
It's why he became a monk and spent hours of day seeking after righteousness because he knew that there was a righteousness of God and that he was going to have to stand before a holy God someday. And it filled him with dread. And then he came to start reading this passage in another way. Because God has a way of doing this, doesn't he? When you start engaging with his story, he has a way of just kind of screwing things up in you. He has a way of kind of like messing up your thought patterns and, and, and getting you to kind of see things in different ways and, and kind of disrupting the life pattern that you've been having. And, 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 and he went from hating the gospel, which made God's fierce and fearsome righteousness all the more clearer, to understanding maybe it means something else. Maybe it's meant to be read in a different way. That a righteousness of God is not something about God, but instead something that God gives. That righteousness isn't so much God's cosmic power, as much as it is something that God does through acts of mercy, like healing people and exercising demons and raising the dead and being strung up on crosses. He came to see that maybe a righteousness of God is not something about him as much as it's something from him. That righteousness is something that God actually gives. And for him, it changed everything. For history, it changed everything. Because with a simple change of reading, with a simple way of looking at it through a different lens, the gospel came from revealing something that was terrifying about God to revealing something about God's cosmic salvation that rescues people out of every single plight. It became about something where God says, you don't have to be righteous. I give righteousness to you. Which means it is very fair to sit here this morning, if you are a believer in Christ, to say, I'm righteous. Because that's what God says you are. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, because in it a righteousness of God, from God, is revealed, a righteousness that comes by faith. The entire message of the gospel and what this 496th anniversary creeping around the door is all about is that there is a God in heaven that despite what desperate situation you're in, despite how mired you are, despite what you've become, says, I declare you righteous, not guilty, right in my eyes. It is the heartbeat of what the biblical story is about. That there is a God who saves. It's a God who's mighty in power. A God who delights in saving but God, who is righteous and holy, circumvents his own holiness, circumvents our own uncleanness by giving righteousness to us. It's what this passage is all about. And Paul says, it comes ex pistuo and ex pistine. 
And everyone asks what it means. Some translations say that. And some say that. And some say that. And some say that. And some even say that. And I say that. What does it mean, from faith, by faith, from faith, for faith, through faith, for faith, by faith, from first to last? It's the idea that top to bottom, beginning to end, no matter what. This righteousness comes by no other way than Jesus Christ. It is given from him and not from anywhere else. No matter what your intent, no matter what you've done, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your background. God is faithful and God saves. And because God is faithful, it results in us being able to have faith. Put another way. Are you willing to trust your destiny in God's hands? Because all of us will stand before a holy God someday. And when we do, what will be your appeal? What will you choose to trust when that day comes? Are you going to trust yourself and that which you have to do? Are you going to trust that by your own power you can do it, you can get right with God, that I can make it happen so that I can stand there someday? Or are you willing to risk it? Are you willing to risk that what God said might actually be true and go into those gates of heaven, dirty and filthy and mired and sinful, and saying, Lord, I'm righteous because your son died for me. Faith like that can only happen if someone has proved themselves faithful before. Would you agree? I'll trust people to a certain degree, but my entire eternal destiny? You better have a track record for me. And the message of Romans is God is faithful. Isn't the story of the Bible God showing that again and again? That God is a God who delivers. God is a God who rescues. God is a God who vindicates. God is a God who restores and resurrects. God is a God who saves. And the invitation of God's story to each of us is to say, risk your destiny. Trust it. Because there is a righteousness that comes by faith. You get it? All right, I'd like you to rise with me. I'd like you to sink it in. Say it after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You got it? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God. For the salvation of all who believe. First for the Jew and also the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. 
just as it is written, written, the righteous will live by faith. faith. 